So thank you so much for coming out to join us for this public launch of the Age Equity for All initiative here in Berkeley. Yeah. You'll hear more about it. My name's Andy Gaines, and I'm the executive director of Ashby Village. We're a community led by older adults who share their skills, support, and expertise with each other to navigate the challenges and the opportunities of aging. For the last several years, I have had the honor of working closely with Carrie Sweeney, the director of UC Berkeley Retirement Center, um, in creating programs that provide opportunities for aging adults to, from the university and throughout the community to engage with age in new and innovative ways. So when I heard about Ashton doing a speaking tour to promote her book, um, This Chair Rocks, which we're going to hear more about, I immediately contacted Carrie to envision today's event. With her gerontological background, Carrie has been keenly aware of the issue of ageism and saw this as a much bigger opportunity than a single event. Researching into the arsenal of tools Ashton has developed to mobilize against discrimination on the basis of age, Carrie proposed gathering a group together to begin consciousness raising about ageism, using the power of personal experiences to unpack unconscious prejudices and to call for social change. And so, for the last few months, a group of us have been meeting to read the book, share personal experiences, plan this event, envision how we can invite others, like each of you, to join us in this Age Equity for All initiative. Today's event will begin with a brief presentation by Ashton, uh, followed by a moderated Q&A. During the Q&A, we'll invite you to write your questions on the cards and pass them down to the ends of the aisle, I expect towards the outside. We'll, we'll let you know. Um, these questions will be collected, grouped, and presented to Ashton for response. Following the Q&A, we'll distribute a brief survey um, that'll provide us with valuable information about your experiences and interests to help guide future activities of the Age Equity for All initiative. At the end, you'll have the opportunity to purchase her book in the back to get Ashton's signature, and she'll, uh, she'll do some signing and saying hello in the back. So, um, about Ashton. In 2016, I was delighted to hear Ashton speak, author and activist. Uh, she gave a keynote speech at the National Village to Village Conference in Columbus, Ohio. Her incisive, witty, and convincing talk shine the light on ageism, stereotyping, and discrimination based on age. Ashton spoke to us about experiencing ageism whenever someone, someone assumes we're too old for something, an activity, a way, for example, an activity, a way that we're relating, something that we're doing, instead of finding out who we are and what we're capable of. She also spoke about ageism cutting both ways, that also, we're too young for things, and so we're delighted to be sh uh, sharing this at the university with both younger adults and older adults and people of all ages here to share. It's clear that she's a messenger of our time, and I'm delighted to welcome Ashton to share with you some words. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for coming out on this beautiful day. Uh, I know it's a weekday, but I appreciate I'm 
running around from pillar to post. So thank you, Andy. And I love the idea that it's a panel. And I hope you will. This topic is so unexamined. I hope you'll have a bunch of questions and not be shy about asking hard ones. Um, so we're going to go. We're going to go right to the belly of the beast. How does that word make you feel? I used to feel the same way. I started this project about 12 years ago when I was 55 because I was afraid of getting old. My darkest fear, ending up in some grim institutional hallway. And then I learned that the percentage of Americans over 65 is 2.5%. It's dropped from four just in the last, just in the decade that I've been working on this. And even for people 85 and up, the number is only 9%. What else was I worried about? Dementia. But if you subtract the percentage of people over 65 in nursing homes, 90% of the remainder is cognitively fit. Alzheimer's is a terrible disease, and it is a real public health challenge, but it is not typical of aging. And even as the population ages, the, the dementia rates are falling significantly. Sometimes I say I'm, I'm in the both sides of the story business. You know, it's not that our fears about aging aren't real. It's that we never hear both sides of the story, so our fears are way out of proportion. There are more cases of Alzheimer's because there's more older people in the population, but the odds of anyone in this room being diagnosed with Alzheimer's are getting lower and lower, and people are being diagnosed at later ages. So the real epidemic is anxiety over memory loss. I also assumed that old people were depressed because they were old and they were going to die soon. And it turns out that people are happiest at the beginnings and the ends of their lives. It's, it's called the U-shaped happiness curve. I, I gave a talk in Berkeley yesterday, and a woman came up. She said, where's the study about that curve? And I said, told her, which is true, and it's all footnoted in the book and on my blog, thischairrocks.com slash blog, which is searchable by topic. This data has been borne out by study after study in the U.S. and around the world. And you don't have to be a Buddhist or a billionaire. It is a function of the way, and I mean, I, I was so skeptical. I thought, well, that's fine if you're rich. That's fine if you're healthy. It obtains across class, across health, across medical status. It's a function of the way aging itself affects the healthy brain. So slowly, skeptically, gears grinding, I realized that my old age was likely to be different and way better than the grim slide into depression, diapers, and puffy white shoes of my nightmares. <laughs> and life is cruel. That was, I, that was before I started having to see a podiatrist. <laughs> So I started feeling a lot better about getting older, and I started obsessing about why so few people know these things. And the reason, as Andy just pointed out, is ageism. That is the dictionary definition. I love that Andy uses mine, which is any judgment about someone or a group of people based on how old we think they are. It cuts both ways, and younger people experience a lot of it. Right? Just like aging is not just something annoying that old people and parents do, it's something that we embark on the day we're born. All prejudice, ageism, sexism, racism are socially constructed ideas, and that's just fancy speak for we make them up. And they change over time, and they serve a social and economic purpose. Prejudice is not about how we look. It's about what people in power want our appearance to mean. Stereotyping underlies all prejudice, the assumption that all members of a group are alike, which is, of course, always ignorant and wrong, but especially when it comes to age, because the longer we live, the more different 
from one another we become. And yet we tend to think of everyone in a retirement home, like Ashby Village perhaps, as the same age, that would be old, when they can span four decades. And can you imagine people thinking the same way about a group of people between, say, age 15 and 55, who are in fact far more homogenous than a group of people from 50 to 90? Pitting young against old, like pitting groups of low-wage workers against each other or the interests of stay-at-home moms against moms in the paid workforce is a time-honored tactic, I feel like everyone in Berkeley must know this, used to divide groups who might otherwise join forces and challenge the status quo and work for a fairer world. So it's so fantastic, this whole age equity initiative. This us-or-them logic always pops up around healthcare rationing. Listen for it. Why should we spend money on older people when we could spend it on kids? It is not ethical or legal to allocate resources by race or by sex, and weighing the needs of the old against the young is equally unacceptable, period. So the next time you... Thank you. And the next time you encounter that reasoning, nip it in the bud, right? Old versus young ways of thinking also fail the common sense test. Communities that are good to grow old in, which means that they have parks and social services and you know, public transportation, are good for everyone. They are all age-friendly. So I'd love to change that wording, you know, the age-friendly wording, to be all age-friendly. Nobody's born ageist, but it starts in early childhood, around the same time that attitudes towards race and gender start to form. Because negative messages about late life come at us incessantly from every direction, starting with cartoons and children's books, right? Wrinkles are ugly. Old people are incompetent. It's sad to be old. We olders can be the most ageist of all because we have had a lifetime of hearing those messages and internalizing them, right, where they become part of our identity. And most of us have never thought to question them. Unless we challenge the underlying message that to age is to lose value as a human being, right? It's that basic and that ugly. It becomes part of our identity, and that's internalized ageism. I had to acknowledge my own prejudices and stop colluding. Senior moment quips, for example, I stopped making them when it dawned on me that when I lost the car keys in high school, I didn't call it a junior moment, (laughs) right? I mean, kids forget things, too, all the time. Like I stopped blaming my sore knee on being 66 because my other knee feels fine and it's just as old. I mean, that's, it's, you know, listen for that in yourself, the reflexive tendency to blame something on age when age may have something to do with it, but it may not, right? So interrogate that. What's the hardest prejudice to let go of? The one against myself, my own future older self. All prejudice relies on othering, seeing a group of people as different, other than yourself, whether it's other nationality, other color, other sports team, whatever. The strange thing about ageism is that other is our own future older self, right? And ageism feeds on denial, our reluctance to to connect to that, to acknowledge that we are going to get old, that we might even be old. It is denial when we try to pass for younger or believe in anti-aging products or get offended when someone politely offers us a seat on the bus, Age denial blinds us to our own bias and perpetuates it in a thousand ways. It is not having a vagina that makes life harder for women. It's sexism. It's not loving a man that makes life harder for gay guys. It's homophobia. And it is not the passage of time that makes getting older in America so much harder than it has to be. It is ageism. 
when labels are hard to read or there's no handrail or we can't open the damn jar, we think I should be more limber, I should be better prepared, I should be stronger. We blame ourselves instead of the ageism that makes those natural transitions shameful and the discrimination that makes those barriers acceptable. When we dye our hair just to cover the gray, and God bless Berkeley, because I see more gray hair in this audience than I ever see anywhere else. Or leave early accomplishments off our resumes or lie about our age, we reinforce age shame. And these are really successful strategies, and I completely understand why so many of us engage in them. No judgment whatsoever, I swear. But they're like a gay person trying to pass for straight or a person of color passing for white. They're not good for us because they're rooted in shame about something that shouldn't be shameful. And they give a pass to the underlying discrimination that makes these behaviors necessary. And for those of us who face other kinds of discrimination, like lesbians and people of color, the costs are even higher. Aging is not a problem to be fixed or a disease to be cured. It is a natural powerful, lifelong process that unites us all. You can't make money off satisfaction, but shame and fear create markets. Capitalism always needs new markets. Who says wrinkles are ugly? The multi-billion dollar anti-aging piece alone of the skincare industry. Who says perimenopause and low T and mild cognitive impairment our medical conditions, the trillion-dollar pharmaceutical industry. I heard an ad on the, I'm in a hotel, so I'm listening to the, to the TV, and someone is advertising some pill to improve short-term memory. I don't think so. <laughs> There's a, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, so um, we know, you know, we know that that is, of course, people love this market because everyone is going to come down with it, right, if potions and pills can cure it. The more clearly we see these forces at work, the easier it is to envision alternative, more positive, and more accurate narratives. This is not, I didn't cherry pick the feel-good science here, believe me. And, you know, the evidence is in the book. The longer we wait, the more damage these ideas do to ourselves and our place in the world. Longer lives require working longer and saving more, and yet two-thirds of Americans say they've experienced discrimination in the workplace. A ProPublica story that came out at the end of the year, you might have seen, showed that over half of workers in their 50s did not leave their jobs of their own volition. Engineers in Silicon Valley are getting Botoxed and hair plugged before key interviews, and these are skilled white men in their 30s. So imagine the effects further down the food chain. The personal and economic consequences are devastating, as I suspect many of you have experienced, certainly your friends. Not one negative stereotype about older workers is true. Experience is an asset, not a liability. It's kind of crazy to even have to say that out loud. We know that diverse workplaces aren't just better places to work, they work better. And just like gender and race, age is a criterion for diversity. So, you know, put that out in the world, too. Ask people what they think. People don't usually say age, but when I add age to the list, no one says that's a dumb idea. You know, I'll get back to you. They're like, duh. This is, you know, these are, these are new ideas, but the aha moments are right there. You know, the pushback is way less than we think, I think. Pushback against age discrimination and workers of all ages benefit, right? The flexibility and accessibility that older workers need also is great for students and people with disabilities and anyone trying to make a living in a heartless gig economy. 
The data around health is fascinating. We know that ageism in medicine means worse treatment, less treatment, often no treatment at all for older people. Doctors spend more time with younger patients and tend to take their concerns more seriously, even though they have less, fewer health issues. Why should we accept a different standard of care for older people? Right, again. That is institutional ageism at work. Internalized ageism matters, too, a lot. A growing body of fascinating research shows that attitudes towards aging have a measurable effect on how our bodies function at the cellular level. People with more positive feelings about aging, which, again, just means more realistic feelings about aging. Walk faster, heal quicker from from severe disability, not just stubbing your toe. And live longer, a whopping seven and a half years longer on average. And that's why the World Health Organization, right, health, not the World Oldness Organization, the World Health Organization, is developing a global anti-ageism campaign. Right? To extend not just health, not just lifespan, but health span. The percentage of those years, obviously, in which we're healthy. Sadly, there is no evidence that Sudoku or brain training confer any real protection against cognitive decline, but study after study shows that attitudes towards aging matter a lot. People who associate old age with growth and purpose are less likely to develop dementia, even if they have the gene that predisposes them to the disease. The positive beliefs, the thinking goes, help keep us healthy by buffering stress and prejudice, the effects of ageism. Equating aging with disease and decrepitude, on the other hand, makes us more vulnerable to exactly that. We also know, and I remember like when I first encountered, this was, this was not recent research. I, I, I was so incredulous. People who's, um, who stayed sharp right to the end, their brains, many of them, were filled with Alzheimer's-type plaques and tangles. What did those people have in common? A sense of purpose. And purpose doesn't have to be to cure cancer, you know. It can be to beat Mrs. Kravitz at bridge tomorrow morning. Purpose can be small. What's the biggest obstacle to having a purpose in late life? A culture that tells us that getting older means shuffling off stage. Ageism again. So how about a public health campaign? Any public health people out there to uh, end ageism? Women face the double whammy of ageism and sexism, so we experience aging differently. Giving my talk tonight at the Institute on Aging on Aging While Female, which is really take no prisoners. There is a double standard at work here. Shocker. The notion that aging enhances men and devalues women. We women reinforce this double standard when we compete to stay young, which of course no one can do. Another punishing and losing proposition. When we rank older women by age, which we all do, me too. We reinforce ageism, sexism, lookism, the idea, of course, that the most important thing about a woman is how she looks, and patriarchy. And you do not need a PhD in women's studies to know that this behavior is not good for us. It sets us up to fail. Once again, it pits us against each other. And it affects our income and our health and well-being, which is, of course, compounded again by race and by class, which is why everywhere in the world, the sickest of the sick and poorest of the poor are old women of color. Quote, ageism allows the younger generations to see older people as different from themselves. Thus, they subtly cease to identify with their elders as human beings. Unquote. Wrote Dr. Robert Butler, who coined the word ageism in 1969. He, he died about five years ago, but I got to meet him a number of times and dedicated the book to him. He was amazing. 
that's that othering thing again, right? And when we see people as other than ourselves, their welfare, even their basic rights, seem less important and less worth defending. That's one reason five out of six conservatively um, incidents of elder abuse go unreported. Unlike domestic violence or child abuse, we don't talk about it much. Neither do many victims who are embarrassed by their vulnerability, ashamed to ask for help, and worst of all, think they may not deserve it. That is internalized ageism at work reinforcing structural discrimination. Feeling alienated from older people and apprehensive at becoming like us is not natural. It is not inevitable. It is the result of social forces, ageism, sexism, and capitalism. Whether in school or at work or in church or at play, age segregation impoverishes us because it cuts us off from most of humanity, especially in the U.S., where very few people, there's a, a, a study, it's in the new edition of the book, some shockingly small percentage of people have a friend more than 10 years, younger or older, which is nothing, that's not even a generation, with whom they would discuss an, an important personal matter. Discrimination, sanctions, segregation, and isolation, which are the biggest threats to a good old age. An intergenerational world obviously is straight up a better world. For those of us with access to health care and education, for the first time in human history, four and even five living generations are becoming commonplace. The institutions around us were created when life was shorter, right? It's not all ageism. They have not had time to catch up. And that gives us an incredibly important window of opportunity to shape a world that supports people of all ages, right? Population aging is a permanent global phenomenon. To take advantage of this longevity dividend, we need to quit the reflexive hand-wringing and challenge the ageist assumptions that underlie it and think realistically and imaginatively about how to shape the multi-generational society that we all hope to live long enough to inhabit, which is, again, why it's really exciting that you at Ashby Village and Berkeley as a whole are tackling it. It is going to take all hands on deck and all ages. So where do we go from here? Tap into what we know. Growing older isn't just different from what we've been brainwashed to believe. It's way better. It's not. Again, it's not that the losses are not real, but aging brings authenticity, confidence, perspective, self-awareness. My mother said her legs got better, but to be fair, she started out with great legs. (laughs) Priorities are clearer. It's easier to manage emotions. We care less about what people think, which is really liberating, especially for women. We want less. That's why I've never met anyone who actually wants to go back to their youth. You can't just swap out the battered bits. Because our years are what make us us. And everyone knows that. Entire industries, multi-million dollar industries, are built on convincing people that my 66-year-old face and body are hideous. The idea, reinforcing the idea that old equals ugly, especially for women. A system designed to exploit our insecurities can only do so if we consent to it. Instead of muttering what the hell happened at the face in the mirror, which we all do, (laughs) how about taking a minute to recall some of the things that did happen and how amazing some of them were? Listen to ad man Chuck Nyron on older women's bodies, which offer, quote, contours aplenty, shapes galore, curves, mounds, crannies. Afterwards, you think about what you didn't get to yet. Why does that seem so damn radical? Why didn't we think of that? Let's not delude ourselves. 
This is the work of a lifetime. We need to embark on it with others and with all ages. I really want someone to develop a, a consciousness raising group for women. Because if, if women of all ages came together, younger women would be less afraid of getting older, and we older women would remember how hard it was to be young, right? And be less threatened and be more generous. We can insist, remember, none of this stigma is natural and none of it is fixed. We can insist on being seen and being valued as our full, rich, lumpy, complicated selves and take that change out into the world. In India, where the vast majority of olders live with their families, there's nothing demeaning about receiving care and support of all kinds, including with toileting. Imagine that. The terms and power dynamics are going to shift, and a lot of those changes are not going to be welcome. But the goal is to learn to give and receive with grace, right? To remember, these are two-way transactions. Autonomy requires collaborators. No one is truly independent ever. I hope you will not use age independence or uh, you know, valorize independence as the goal in your programming and use the word interdependence instead because all of life is interdependence. Let's acknowledge the need for helping hands whatever age we are and reach for them gratefully and without shame. <coughs> the most important component of a good old age was hugely surprising to me is not how healthy you are, which I assume would come first, or how wealthy you are, <coughs> but having a solid social network. If you don't know people much older or younger than you, seek them out. Think of something you like to do. I mean, you can't just grab a young person and say, hi, you're really young, let's be friends. <laughs> but think of something you like to do and find a mixed age group to do it with. You know, going reading, going to hear music, um, knitting. Guys knit. In Brooklyn, where I'm from, they knit. And find a mixed age group to do it with. Most importantly, don't stay home from something you'd like to do. You know, or go to some hip neighborhood or some hip restaurant just because you'll be the oldest person in the room, Right? Don't stay home just because you'll stick out, because that is how desegregation happens. People with the most at stake, olders in this case, because we live in such a youth-obsessed society, step up and step out. We stop conforming. And the open-minded welcome us, and incremental social change takes place. Youngers benefit, too, because otherwise, each generation has to figure out how dumb and destructive it is to fear growing older, and how much of our youth we squander on worrying about it. Dismantling ageism will require nothing less than a mass movement, like the 20th century one that catalyzed a mass shift of women around the world. And as Andy referenced, women came together and shared their stories and realized that what they've been thinking of as personal problems, you know, not getting heard, getting harassed, not getting hired. I see heads nodding. I'm sure some of you were active in those groups in the 70s were widely shared political problems that required collective action. There is a term, I just learned this last year, for that shift in awareness, cognitive liberation. I think I like it so much because it speaks to the activist in me and the nerd in me. As we become aware of discrimination, stop accepting second-class status as just the way it is and realize we can come together and do something about it. Cognitive liberation is a fantastic feeling, and it is the linchpin of movement building. Changing the culture is a tall order, I know that, but culture is fluid. Look at me too, and look at how far the gay rights and trans rights movement have come in just a few decades, right? And that's about sex in a very Puritan and squeamish culture, you know? Ageism affects everyone. Look at gender. 
We used to think of it, most of us, as a binary, male or female, and now we understand it's a spectrum. It is high time to ditch the old, young binary, too. That's why I use the term olders and youngers, which I'm happy to talk about in the Q&A. There's no line in the sand between old and young, after which it's all downhill. And yet everyone, you know, especially in like late middle age, is like terrified of being on the wrong side of that you know, imaginary velvet rope. And all that imaginary threshold does is segregate us and fill us with needless dread. Everyone, all races, all genders, all nationalities is old or future old. And until we put a stop to it, ageism will oppress us all. That's what makes it a perfect target for collective advocacy and a unifying cause. I mean, you know, in my dreams, we'll come together around ageism in a mixed age group, obviously, and then use that power to address all the other pressing social justice issues. Why add another ism to the list when so many, racism in particular, call out for action? Here's the thing, we don't have to choose. When we make the world a better place to grow old in, we make it a better place to be a woman, to be from somewhere else, to be queer, to be non-rich, to be non-white, to have a disability. And when we show up at all ages for whatever cause is tugging at our sleeve, and there are so many, save the clinic, save the, you know, save the democracy, improve the neighborhood, we not only make that effort more effective, we dismantle ageism in the process. Longevity is here to stay. A movement to end ageism is underway. I'm in it. I hope everyone in this room will join me in it. And thank you. Actually, I'm going to do a, 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 a tiny bit of, of uh, and then I'm going to switch it back to Age Pride because that would be much more fun. The book is for sale. It's a fun read. Someone who's actually read it promised to say that. Um, you can find me on social media at, at This Chair Rocks, and there's cards up front. Um, I have a blog called Yo Is This Ageist, modeled on Yo Is This Racist, which is a fantastic Q&A blog where you can ask me questions. And I have a mailing list that's going around. If you give me your email, I swear I will never give it away. I will not get it together to mail you very often. Who's on my mailing list who can attest to that? And um, so please let me, if you want to know how the movement is going, please sign up. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much, Ashton. So uh, really, really appreciate you shining a light on ageism and helping us to launch this Age Equity for All initiative here in Berkeley. Um, I want to, we're going to head now into a moderated Q&A, which will begin with some questions from our two moderators. Um, So I'm going to introduce them as they come up. Um, Carrie Sweeney. who's behind Annika, is is, uh, director of UC Berkeley Retirement Center, dedicated to helping retirees and their families live well in retirement. Uh, This is a personal statement. Under Carrie's leadership, the Retirement Center has initiated innovative and promising partnerships with community organizations to improve the lives of, and I'm going to change the word from older adults to olders, throughout the community. So that's Carrie. And then Anika Kumar is a UC Berkeley molecular and cell biology major and public policy minor, uh, graduating in 2021. Anika is an education intern for Bears for Elder Welfare. And I, uh, in a conversation with, with uh, Ashton before, heard that the terminology is more elderly is something that has a lot of connotation. So Bears for Olders Welfare, a student group created to improve the welfare of local olders and to cultivate older appreciation among Berkeley students. So 
take it away. I'll get it started. I think I'm on, yeah? Okay. I'll just talk like this. Thank you so much, Ashton. We really appreciate you coming here today. Um, And um, I think um, your approach is so unique. And um, I hope it will stop being so unique. (laughs) I'm serious. I hope that everyone feels motivated to, you know, take the message out on your own terms. Absolutely. Um, and, and sometimes it just takes that first step for someone to bring everybody else along. Um, you use humor, skepticism, data. The book is a blast to read. I was sharing with you earlier. I've been reading gerontology books for 20 years, and this is the most fun I've had reading a, um, a, ger- a book around gerontology. So what got you started on the path? I was afraid of getting old. I mean, I didn't realize it at the time. But I'm, uh, and it was a chance comment of my mother-in-law, who was in her 80s at the time. She and her husband, Bill, were booksellers. And she said, why don't you write about something people ask us all the time? So when are you going to retire? Mm. And in, so I started interviewing people over 80 and learning about longevity. And, that, and it just encountered all these statistics about depression, about the fact that I, you know, I mean, I was so skeptical and so scared. I thought one of the awful things about getting older, since it was obviously all awful, was that um, you got closer to death and you must be more and more frightened of that. I, I had this image of, of the shadow of the Grim Reaper, you know, stretching across the grim, sad iron bedstead. And one of the things I learned was the longer people live, the less they fear dying over and over and over. So it was this catalyst to sort of why, you know, why don't we know these things? Um, and that's what got me started. Yeah, going okay. off of that, um, one thing that one term that you use in your book in your various talks is that you're an old person in training, and I think that's kind of an interesting way to to think about how we are growing up and um, you know living our lives in preparation for you know as we get older. So, what exactly does that mean to you? And I didn't invent the phrase. I learned it. I saw it um, from a geriatrician named Joanne Lynn. When, I mean, I did this project about old people who work, and it was boring and dumb, and that, you know, even to me, and then I sort of floundered for a long time and, and finally sort of found my voice. But in that, in that middle period, I thought, well, that is what I've become. I don't really know what it means yet. And then I came to understand that it is a way, it's just a trick of thinking. It's just yeah. a, a little click of imagination. But it is a way to make a connection to break up that othering thing. I mean, when you are young, it is really hard to imagine being old. That's not ageism. That's human nature. But if you can acknowledge that someday you will be old, which, P.S., no one wants to die young, you know, it is a, it is a imaginative and, and even a strategic connection yeah. to your future older self. And I love it when a younger person says that, because if you can avoid getting on this treadmill and spending all this energy fearing and trying to stop something that can't be stopped and shouldn't be stopped, you don't get sucked into that. And also, it's sort of a tool because then when you see older people behaving in ways that you think make sense or that you don't like, you can say, oh, I want to try and remember to do that. Or, you know, you, you, you look at the older people around you instead of past them yeah. or through them. So that's what, what it came to be for me. Um, while we're talking, uh, if you have your questions, um, please, uh, Chris and uh, I think Stephen are going around to collect cards. Please uh, also, uh, um, I, uh, there's a lot of been, that's been sparked here. Um, 
I have one question, but I have another one. Let's talk semantics. I, 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 it's interesting. We had the conversation we had earlier, and I was thinking about this, the semantics of aging and the importance of it. A lot of times when I start to talk about this, and I'll be having a conversation, and someone will say, well, is that the right, should I, should I, I don't know, should I call them older adults? Should I, should I call them? There's a little uncertainty, and we want people to have a confidence Raising consciousness while having a confidence in, in, in being a part yeah. of this dialogue, right? And not to get, my sense is not to get caught up in semantics, but to be, mm, to be conscious of, of how we are, what we're calling each other and the impact that that has on yeah. things. Language is powerful. Yeah, so talk a little bit about your journey and in, in, in sort of writing the book. You talk a lot about s- semantics and, and, and what... You use olders and, and and just raise the in raising the importance of people's consciousness around that. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't. You you use the term elderly, which is of course a term you've been using for twenty years. So I don't want to be you know the thought police or come down on you like a ton of bricks. But a good rule of thumb is not to use a word describing anyone that they don't use to describe themselves. And I've never heard anyone describe themselves as elderly. Part of the reason. And, you know, is that is that elderly has a negative connotation of frail and disabled. It shouldn't, you know, but it does. Same with old. Ideally, we could all, like, be old and be bold and be proud of it. But the fact is, most of us don't. I, the other thing I don't like about elderly is that it's often paired with the, to imply that at some point you cross that, you know, velvet rope, and then you're all those old, sad, sick people. You know, when, so that, I, I came up with olders and youngers, as a private shorthand when I was writing the book, I mean, I'm a writer. I am really leery of inventing new words, I promise. But I got tired of typing older adults and older <laughs> Americans um, and just shortened it to olders. And then, and then I had youngers as the counterpart. And at some point, I realized, like, it works. I mean, I, I'm sure that when you heard me say the word out loud, there was a little hiccup. But I don't think anybody didn't understand who I was referring to. And what I like about it is is several things. I like that it's value neutral. Elders is a beautiful word. Lots of people use it. More power to them. It's not part of my culture, and I don't love the idea, the way it seems to give older people more value than younger people. I really think that every person, children, deserve respect. And, and I like the, the way it busts the old young binary for reasons I already explained. And also, we're, it, it emphasizes the fact that we're all always older than some people and younger than others. You know, we're depending. I mean, you know, the 99-year-old will assure you that she's younger than Mrs. McGillicuddy in room 203. And that's, you know, that's yeah. fine, too. And, and lastly, in an ageist world, most of us are reluctant to identify as old. I mean, I don't usually call myself, I'm, you know, I'm still working on this stuff too. I, you know, it's probably obvious, but I'll readily cop to being older. So it's a way of getting us over that internalized ageism to say, you know, well, I may not be, you know, obviously I'm not young, I'll be older. So it's a way of sort of, again, bridging that gap to your future older self and getting you par- part of the way there. Fudging. Fudging. <laughs> Fudging is fine. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll seg- thank you. I'll, I'll segue. It gives, you, it gives you some things to think about, and I think a way to bring people along um, to, to, to raise consciousness around, around this issue. Um, you touched on it on your talk, but you, um, you, you talked about um, sort of, I sometimes hear from uh, folks that come by our center, um, oh, I'm not going to go, um, I'm not going to go, 
to that department meeting or I'm not going to go to that because all of the folks are younger all than me uh, or yeah or vice versa <laughs> uh, they're, they're all young people and they don't want me there or they're, I'm older and I, I, I don't want to go hang out with a, a, a bunch of older people, I, yeah. that too. I mean, so uh, you spoke to it a little bit, maybe dive a little deeper around, um, it's real to people, right? It's real, mm. but it's ignorant. Yeah. You know, it's totally understandable. No judgment. You can't make, you know, someone go somewhere they don't want to do. Right. But the idea that a young person is going to, you know, roll their eyes when you head towards them. I mean, maybe a tiny percentage is, but those are not the people who are ever going to be our friends, not to mention proponents of social change. You know, yeah. most, most younger people aren't going to pay any attention at all. And we, because we live in such an ageist society, we have this idea that, oh, because there's an age gap, we won't have anything in common, which is just frankly nuts. You know, talk about what you're reading. Talk about what's in the newspaper. Talk about sex, talk about Bernie Sanders, talk about anything. Age is, is a bogus divide. And lots of younger people, I think, although I can't speak for younger people, are actually really happy to make connections with older people who might have, you know, know something about or have a connection or be able to support them, you know, in some way. This, this divide is, is built, you know, it is in that internalized ageism. Because I am old, I am either not interesting or they're going to think I'm not interesting. So try and break the habit when you show up at a social event. Don't make a beeline for people your own age and see what happens. I mean, I'm pretty sure you'll be rewarded. The, the business about not wanting to go to the senior center because of all the old people there, you know, that's just flat out internalized ageism, the re reluctance to see ourselves as older, and this idea that I'll, I'll look old if I go hang out there, although, Every topic here is double-edged. You know, ideally, community centers would also have intergenerational programs and wouldn't be just old people playing, you know, lame bingo. Um, you know, same with gerontology. I mean, I've heard gerontologists, progressive gerontologists say, you know, we need to change the field. I'm curious to know what you think about this from just the study of oldness, which tends to be conflated then with the physical decline that is an inevitable part of aging. There are only two inevitable bad things about aging. Some part of your body is going to fall apart, not all of it, and you're going to lose people you've known all your life, which is why another reason it's so important to make that beeline for some young person. <laughs> um, but that for, in order to adapt to a world of longer lives and stay important and relevant to all ages, gerontology needs to become lifespan studies. But then... You know, have you put yourself out of work? You know, have you? And these are tough, huge questions. This is a huge, unprecedented global shift we're living through. Thank you, Annika. Uh, yeah. Going off of that, um, one thing that, you know, you, you talk about this is that you and I have in common and that we have in common with everybody in this room is that every single day we all get a day older. We all age. And I think that's especially interesting because I've noticed among people of my generation who, um, you know, might be considered the youngers, um, we don't experience ageism the same way and we don't consider it as pressing of an issue just because we're not, you know, in it. And so I was just wondering what your thoughts are on how younger generations are perpetuating ageism and what we can do to combat it because we are, as you say, discriminating against our future selves. Well, re remember that anytime someone, you know, looks at you and goes like, what's, what's that young person there, you know, doing up there? What could you possibly know about this, that that's ageism too? Mm. 
Right. Right. And so that, that ageism does, I mean, there's no question that older people by far bear the brunt of it because we live in such a youth obsessed society. But even the, you know, there, there's the dismissal of youth, the disrespecting of children. So you have experienced ageism. It's not that you will. It's that you already have. Also, this idea, you know, that your 20s are supposed to be like the peak time of your life. You're figuring what you're going to do. You know, your body has to be perfect. You have to have, you know, peak sex, peak social life, start, you know, everything. If your life doesn't happen to conform to that, and P.S., your 20s are really hard. No one wants to go back to their 20s, but that's not the message in the culture. That message is one of the things that makes being in your 20s harder. That's ageism. So to think about, I mean, I, you know, do a consciousness raising group of mixed ages, obviously. Do so, you know, and it could be just a day, just a workshop. It could be just an afternoon, ideally where people around the table are not just different in age, but different in in ethnicity, different in their family histories, different in their genders, and talk about how we think about age and how much of this, how, how, how the oppression affects us all differently, but all of us. And, you know, how age, the, this divide of age is really, um, you know, made up. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Which draws home this like idea of this lung. Over the, yeah, it's, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like, like more, the Adams it's family. Like the Adams family. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, it brings it to that longevity uh, uh, piece. Um, I want to open it up to some of the questions of the audience because they're great. And, and so I love you, you win also. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Any more? Um, we, I could be here all day. And I, I think, though, the, what I've learned with our age conscious, our age equity for all consciousness raising initiative, which we need to come up with a fun acronym for, um, is that it, it, we are va- more valuable by the perspectives in the room. So what I think is an important question about aging or ageism is not at all, it, we all have a different perspective. Yeah. So that's just... Um, Which is a blessing and a curse. It, yeah, exactly. Um, keeps it interesting. So I wanted to, um, I, I, this, this question was near to my heart as the director of the retirement center, because we get this a lot when people retire um, and they're in bliss and everyone's excited and they said, well, what are you going to do when you retire? And that's, that's the question here. How do you respond to that question? What will you do when you retire? It, and it really shows a, it's a binary type perspective because it's like you work and then right. you retire. Right. Who, and like who there's did you this, used to be? Who did you used to be and who are you going to be? And we, we talk a lot about that sort of discovering yourself mm-hmm. as you move out of full-time work into retirement. And so the question is very, uh, very straightforward. How do you respond to that question? What will you do when you retire, when you retire? Well, there are as many answers as there are people, you know, each person's, I mean, a a question I get, hear people bridling about a lot is the assumption that if you are a certain age, 60 or whatever, then you must, are you retired? Um, right. I answered a question just about that. What, 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 what age do you cut your yeah. membership off? I mean, the fact is that right. retirement yeah. itself is a word with the, whose meaning is completely, you know, shifting so fast. Um, as, uh, Laura Carsonson of the Stanford Longevity Center um, talks about, you know, adapting to longer lifespans with a with it taking longer for people to figure out what they want to do. So this is like, you know, you're in your 20s here where you where you might be home starting a family. You're not at peak work yet. You might still be in school figuring out what you want to do. We stay in the workforce longer 
and you know maybe peak um, in terms of hours and you know experience and all that in our 50s and 60s, and then transition more slowly out of it. There's no question that the idea that you hit you know 65 and boom, um, you know you're not you're not I mean you're not useful or valuable anymore. Um, needs to be challenged. You know I mean maybe you're going to cure cancer. Maybe you're going to raise begonias. Every answer is a good one. You know I think there's. It's a prejudice of mine because I am so focused on work. I had to, I realized like I was, and I'm 66, so, uh, you know, a lot of my age cohort, those who can afford it, are in fact retiring. And it is a concept so alien to me personally that I have to watch my, like, your what? Reflex because they, whatever you do, if you want to sit in a porch swing and read romance novels, more power to you. There is no right way to age. There is no decision that is more valid than another. There is the whole huge economic fact, of course, that so few people can't afford to retire yeah. and that so many older Americans are aging into poverty. I mean, I don't know if you've heard about the growing cohort of Americans my age. What do they call them? Not nomads? There's some terrifying uh, word for them. Um, that, that drive in, in secondhand mobile homes. They're not quite homeless from one low-wage job to another. So as a, from a political point of view, that's a more pressing question to me than are you going to, you know, raise begonias or raise roses, but that snarky answer reflects my own bias. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And it varies. It's very personal. And uh, we always say when you've seen, um, I'm sure there's some bad language in this somewhere. When you've seen seen one retiree, you've seen one retiree. (laughs) And the point is, is that we get more diverse as we get, uh, as we age. And so um, it's a very personal question and it takes some reflection the challenge is sometimes I think people will will not know how to answer the question. So what what do you do? Yeah, well, when the you word have doesn't. The about connotations so, of the word yeah. are shifting, and mm-hmm. the fact is, a lot of people are retiring, and they do have this incredible knowledge base. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the head of the uh, Mailman School of Public Health called it the only natural resource that's actually increasing, the social capital of hundreds. And hundreds of thousands of healthy, more healthy, well-educated adults than ever before in human history. Yeah. You know, so we all need to come up with a million great answers to that question. Very well. Annika. Right. So this next question touches on how, um, you know, in your talk you mentioned that we consider old people to be ages 50 to however old, and that can <laughs> encompass so many different generations. It's not a homogenous group. So do you have any stories about successful intergenerational communities where frail olders receive care and active olders all, of all ages live together? Well, I would say a, a village, a, a literal village, you know, where people of all ages live together and come into contact with each other every day, then caregiving and socializing and the work that needs to be done to keep the community going are all shared and the contribution and the needs of every person, whether they're two or 102, is evident. There, um, Mark Friedman, who started Encore.org, has a lovely book called, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great title because you have to sort of do a double take, How to Live Forever. And of course, it's not about 
you know, it, becoming immortal. It's about leaving a legacy. You live forever if you leave a legacy to the uh, next generation. And he has been working on intergenerational stuff forever. And this is something that I'm so heartened by. I don't really know where all the intergenerational initiatives are coming up all over. He describes a bunch of them. Uh-huh. In there, there's also an organization called Generations United. Mm-hmm. There's also... Um, there's um, a project that I started with uh, two other people this summer called OldSchool.info, which is a clearinghouse of free, vetted anti-ageism resources where you can find all this stuff. There are examples of intergenerational initiatives. So, you know, we need to, we need to you know, make this up as we go. And, but there are lots of great examples out there to learn from. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I'll choose a question. They're also wonderful. Um, let's see. Uh, a sense of personal. Um, let's if it were see. mine, you couldn't read it. So. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'm starting to have to hold it farther away. So people with the most power aren't motivated to join an anti-ageism movement because they are pretty happy. How to move to them to action? Um, people with the most power are almost always the people with the most money, mm. who can afford to buy the support that make them appear to be independent and aging successfully. Um, They are not going to be the ones to make change, um, but there are loads of business arguments to be made for why ageism hurts communities, hurts companies, hurts, you know, I mean, obviously hurts humanity. I mean, there's, you know, there's all this discourse now around, you know, Silicon Valley philanthropists who want to, you know, do good by giving their money away in a private sort of way that makes them look good. There are a zillion arguments to be made about the economic costs of ageism. I mean, tons of industries are facing labor shortages because boomers are retiring, you know. So there's that, um, you know, the, to tap into this knowledge base. It, it's... Um, you know, it's there. I mean, I I get tragic stories all the time about people in their fifties. Usually, it's worse for women. It's worse for people of color. Again, it's all you know, it all compounds. But who have sent out hundreds of resumes and cannot get hired. I mean, this is a social justice issue. And because the canvas is so broad, you know, a blessing and a curse. If you know those people, you know, find out a social justice issue that they are interested in, whether it's the environment. There's a very big you know, group, I think it might be Berkeley-based, called Gray is Green, you know, of, of olders working around conservation issues. Whatever it happens to be, there is a way to tap into the social capital and experience of older people. Feedback. Yeah. Going off that, this next question is specifically about how do we address the ageism-sexism connection? Um... I think that we address that through consciousness raising. Okay. The analogy that I often make, you know, when it is when, when ageism is missing from the discourse, which and that's really starting to change. It's exciting, but you know, if you have this website on, you know, how to have a fabulous later life, and there's no ageism around health, for example, or labor. You are just putting a band-aid on the situation. Suppose we were suppose it was a website about women and you never talked about sexism and you never talked about feminism and you never talked about structural issues, right? Mm-hmm. We we women are gonna lead this movement. That's no surprise. Mm-hmm. And there is 
um, a, a um, resource on my website and also on Old School. It's called Who Me? Ageist. How It's a free download, How to Start a Consciousness Raising Guide Around Age Bias. I want, um, I want a really smart feminist to write a version of it for, um, f- for women. The, the tough part is how do we incorporate race and gender into that without... Yeah. You know, while keeping the focus on ageism, and I, you know, that's a big that's a big project, but it's the most interesting question there is. So this is all it's so interesting, right? Yeah. I have I would like younger and older women to come together and talk about aging because we don't do that. And my working title is "You Will Look Like Us," because I like the fact that it skewers the idea that the most important thing about us is how we look, but. Everything is double-edged. The problem with that title is that it implies that I, old person, am going to teach you how to be like me, and it's really important yeah. to remember that these are two-way Mutual. transfers. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, if more younger women had, had older women friends, they would be less afraid, right? And as I said, and, and, then, and, and we older women who are threatened and pissy, I mean, in the, you know, in the job market especially, you know, would see that, you know, remember how, how, how uh, you know, sisterhood, hello, and we need yeah. a better term than sisterhood because sisterhood is monogenerational. I got a great course correction. I was at AARP. I was at AARP in D.C. where this tour started 112 years ago. Um, and talking to, they have a disrupt aging group, which is their sort of radical mm-hmm. breaking news. They are now, as of last Thursday, allowed to use the term ageism explicitly. That's just what I did. I made exactly that face, like WTF. Like, really? It took this long? (laughs) But she said, and I was saying how one of the women compete, because we see that there's only two spots, right, at the table, on the board. So it's you or me, and I'm not going to be nice to you, right? I'm going to go for whatever edge I can. And I said, we need to go for 50% of the seats. And she said, we need to go for 100%. Yeah. And I love that. You know, it's like men have been... You know, taking all the seats for a really long time. I'm starting to get blowback from white men on Twitter, which I know is a really good sign. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, there no one gives up power without a struggle. Yeah. I mean, me too. You know, the Supreme Court appointed a guy with a credible you know, sexual harassment record overtly hostile to women's rights. No one gives up power without a struggle. We women are going to lead this, and we got to claim it. And uh, I, uh, the, the talk, I came up with this for, in the context of women's rights. The women's movement taught us to claim our power, and a movement against ageism is going to teach us to hold onto it. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard someone during the we meet the Me Too use the term "we too." Uh, you know, as a way to sort of uh, make it, I agree. I have to say that women have been the most responsive in terms of this event uh, and our efforts. Always. And um, the comment on this idea that we're all in it together. and we are. Right? And just to, to point out also that, that uh, ageism is the first form of discrimination that many white men encounter. And I think some of them are going to become our most important allies. You know, the ones who are willing to do this really unpleasant reckoning of, gee, I didn't get everywhere I got, you know, on my brains and beauty. And, uh, but I think, you know, 
we absolutely need men in this movement. We need everyone. I don't like we too because I think it's co-opting me too. Um, but, you know, it's such a big canvas that there is always a way in. Figure out, you know, what part of this, where the rub is for you and why and who you might want to talk to about it. Even if all you do is, you know, if you feel like it, is think about how you use the words old and young. That's right. Or, um, and just, I'll say, a really good all-purpose answer to an ageist comment is just in a neutral tone, why, why would you say that? Why would you call me young lady? You know, why are you calling me sweetie? We just met. Although I met a woman who said, she says, and how are you, honey bunchkins? You know, <laughs> I, the, problem, go. <laughs> the problem with snark, tempting though it is, is that it puts the person on the defensive. And they're like, she's just a cranky bitch, Why, you know, and they don't, don't learn. Um, but I do have one good snappy answer. When someone says, you look great for your age, mm. you look great for your age, too. Mm-hmm. It is clearly... And then just let that awkward (laughs) silence (laughs) sit there. That's the hard part. It is. I I think um, it it is a fine balance between um, being gracious and um, pushing back in a way because you want to bring people along, uh, not leave them feeling alienated or lost. What I find that when I speak with some people, maybe... Not generalizing, but maybe uh, they've been there and done it for a long time. They're in their 80s. They kind of look at me like, yeah, I'm not really getting. Maybe that particular person is operating on a, a set of principles that are that are ingrained in it, a, a sort of expectations and norms. And so, how do we bring everybody along in a way so that um, we can, we all see we are breaking down some 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 framework that other that people might have been operating I mean, in, right? Without well, the language them. is a really good place yeah. to start because it's very literal. You know, you can't. Older people are the most ageist of all. And if this person has made her way in the world, I have met older people who say I've never encountered ageism. You know, and that's their reality. Or people who are just really firmly wedded to this idea that they're looking great and doing fine. And, you know, and they, someone offers them a seat on the bus, they recoil. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's, it's sorry, it's, you know, they, they don't, they hate the idea that they look old enough that they might want a seat on the bus. But that, that is based in, Self-loathing, but not. But self-awareness comes. It's hard to get there. You have to look first at your own bias and your own complicity. And if someone doesn't want to do that, it's a huge ask, and that's their. That's right. You know, that's that's, personal. that's that's fine with you know. That's mm-hmm. up to them. They're not the people who are going to change the world, but the world would be intolerable if everyone was an activist. <laughs> <laughs> So, kind of as a follow-up, a lot of this stems from internalized ages uh, or internalized, you know, stereotypes that older olders might have. Um, what can we do to kind of eradicate that in terms of educating people as they're growing up and reshaping the way we think about aging from a young age, not just that once we become older? Great question. Age. I, aren't you an education major? Did I make that up? <laughs> yeah. We don't. One of the reasons. Um, I made old school is to put curricula out there. To my knowledge, there is no curriculum uh-huh. for, or maybe it's out there and, and, and old school is send it in. You can have your name on it. It links to you. It does need to be available for free download. Um, but, you know, I don't think we have curricula mm-hmm. for teaching very young kids right. 
about ageism. And there are all sorts. Um, we started this thing today, this year. Do you know about Dress Like 100-Year-Old Day? Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Right. We started a campaign to push back against that. It used to be to celebrate the 100th day of school. And now kids dress up like million-year-olds, which is, you know, and then they come yeah. in and they're like fake wigs and walkers. Yeah, very um, Which, and the awful part is it is kind of cute. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> what do I do with this? But, you know, it's deeply ageist. Yeah. You know, instead, kids could, could, you know, dress like their grandparents dressed up. Yeah. Or think about 100. Um, someone came up with this really innovative thing of taking two mason jars and putting, you know, five pennies. I think they do it at uh, first grade, it was at age five or, five or six, and then a jar with a hundred pennies. You know, bring in an old person and have them talk about what it was, what, you know, what they did when they were kids. A lot of ways to make these really young people, young people in training. That is a challenge for educators. I'm not an educator, you know, but the, the, there are, as, again, as many ways into this. I mean, it would be fantastic if that were a, a class yeah. and people, you know, could submit their student projects and then we could put those ideas up yeah. on old school. Yeah, that'd be great, because the stereotypes start so young, and then they just compound. Disney cartoons. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. yeah, so many examples. We've got a couple of great questions about um, the medical profession, right. um, which is two, two some... More. Two more that you've covered in your book and done a, a fantastic job. Um, this one, I'm going to ask them both, and, we can, and you can address them. And a nice comment, too, as well. Um, uh, what is the role and the influence of medical professions? Is is aging? It's aging. You know, of course, of course, you're experiencing that. You're oh, look how what you, old what do you, you are. At your age? Yeah, here. Do, um, so how do we how do we interpret and internalize that? And then another one about I'd okay. like to know well, more. One at a time, because okay. I'll forget what the first one. <laughs> okay, someone's saying goodbye. Bye, Bye John. <laughs> My college friend, John. Hi, John. Yeah. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, the medical, there is, I mean, and there's a whole chapter on the book about yeah. the, the older body, the older brain. Medicine is deeply ageist. Again, more evidence that things are starting to change is the fact that med schools are now starting to introduce anti-ageism training and to their students. Nevertheless, most medical schools don't offer, don't force you to have a, a geri- you know, mandate a geriatrics rotation. They do pediatrics, but not the uh, geriatricians. There's going to be a huge shortage of geriatricians, even though, unless we can change this discourse, and I think we can, geriatricians, of course, doctors like to make money and be respected and not um, have to wrangle with insurance, despite which, year after year, the AMA does a survey that doctors who like their jobs the best are geriatricians. Because, so why can't we put that idea out there, promote that idea? People don't go into geriatrics because they think it's not going to be enjoyable because of the culture. We, um, you know, and how about some debt forgiveness for geriatricians? You know, there, there, are, there are structural solutions to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we play a role in that when we, you know, the... the the gag about my other knee doesn't hurt. You know, do we blame stuff on aging? That is not. If your doctor says, you know, what do you expect at your age? Find another doctor. We now understand that a lot of things that we thought were age-related have to do with psychological stuff and are absolutely treatable. The trope that older people, you know, don't sleep as much tends to be because we have more aches and pains. Take an aspirin before bed. Guess what? We sleep just as much as younger people. You know, that kind of thing. So there. 
you know, and we'd need more research into the basic biology of aging. I was on Kara Swisher's radio show yesterday, mm-hmm. and she talks a lot about tech, and, and what she wanted to know was, you know, all about longevity science, and what did I think of that? I, aside from my philosophical issues with it, one problem with that is that it siphons medical resources away you know, what do you want? Like, the, the, the click on the story about you're going to live forever or click on the story about incremental advances in our understanding of cell senescence. <sighs> you know, but what we need is incremental advances in our understanding of what happens to our body as we age. If we can slow aging, delay aging, absolutely. And what, I mean, it's self-evident to say if we can be more active longer and, you know, we will be more productive. Whether you love old people or hate old people, you don't want them to be sick and cost money. So there's just a zillion ways into this from every political point of view. That was a really long answer to your question. No, it's, um, and we, we ask a question in our survey, too, uh, afterwards, which Andy's going to talk about. And I, I want Anna, uh, Annika to close out the with the last question uh, uh, today, okay. and then uh, is really where have you experienced this personally? Yeah, you know where where now that you've kind of risen your awareness, you might even have new ideas around um, around uh, where you've experienced this out in the community, in the doctor's office, in the grocery store, in church. Uh, you know where you between know, your own ears. Between your own ears, we're our worst enemy, aren't we? Um, we've got. The book is so wonderfully chock full of um, practical pushback and also facts and evidence. Um, And I will segue to Annika to close out to ask you a a final question of some words of wisdom to pass along. Yeah, so you mentioned that you want your book to catalyze a mass movement against ageism. And having read it, I think it really has the power to do that. So on that note, what are some big action items that we as individuals can take right now um, what kinds of I, things do you want to see? You can have another question because I, I feel like I answered that, you, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, like in a whole lot of ways. Okay, I mean, there yeah. is the, at the very the last chapter of the book is called Occupy Age, and it does have a whole list of policy changes that need to happen. You know, I don't know. Here we are in Berkeley. My guess is that this is a really well-educated crowd with connections to people who are on the policy, you know, forefront in all sorts of different areas. You know, the Elder Justice Act, elder abuse. You know, it's under-prosecuted. It's, I just did a op-ed for The Spectator in the U.K. and saw high 90%, I think it's like 99%, and I'll, there's links to all this stuff on my website, of el- if elder abuse cases are even brought, 99% are dismissed. You know, what's up with that? I think the public health campaign really has legs, you know, just to raise awareness of ageism. But it does start between your own ears. You know, think about, because if, if, if we don't, because you can't challenge bias unless you're aware of it, and because most of us just haven't started thinking about it. But once you start, once you get past that uncomfortable, oh, crap, I'm really ageist, it really, you can't get that genie back in the bottle, and it is really, really liberating to realize, like, oh, this is out there in the culture, and we can do something about it. And, you know, just even if it's just a, a, a shift in your own attitude, so when your friend says, you know, everything about getting old, you know, sucks, say, well, would you, do you, want, would you, would you want to be any younger? No one does. <laughs> no matter how scared they are, no one does. Well, what's up with that? You know, just start. Start the conversation in whatever way feels right to you. 
That's right. Um, there's just to, to segue onto that. There's a great question about the double standard in media and entertainment. So, how do you deal with um, media is so present? Um, Start a campaign like they're doing in Colorado about they're calling it visual ageism. Take pictures of old pe- people doing the things old people do, which is the same things everyone else does, <laughs> so we can have a bigger library of images instead of the damn couple walking on the damn beach. <laughs> right? We have to choose from right? or like I did all the time. Well, I, I had so. this like kick-ass op-ed, and they, what do they put with it? Like, it's all gray. No one has heads. If someone has a head down the line. You can see they have white hair, and they're all wearing gray, and they're doing, like, some kind of, like, stretch. And, you know, really, we can do better. Um, there's a million things. Do Think of what you know about. In media, often, it's the absence of older people. So put, you know, call that out. If someone has a campaign that uses older models, you know, buy their line of clothing. If someone, if your newspaper, you know, doesn't do that, complain. Make noise. Andy, we're going to give uh, Ashton to thank you, and Andy is going to uh, wrap us up. We really want to thank Ashton for joining today. It's Don't been... tell me I get a T-shirt. Oh, you get a Renegade Retiree T-shirt in here. But also, this is a bag of... Um, these are all, We're also going to raffle a few of these off, but these, um, this is Blade a bag from of... from Berkeley. It's, everything is made of hemp. I just uh, know. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> None other, only the best. And it's a, a, a wonderful just little package for you, care thank package you. for you, and a thank you, thank you. Uh, for coming today. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ashton, Carrie, and Annika for the wonderful moderation. Um, thank, I, I just wanted to thank everyone for completing your survey. We actually, um, this is the beginning of our initiative, and your thoughts and responses will be really helpful in us figuring out what events we might uh, be planning to come next, and we'll stay informed. Yeah, we'll, and we'll I will you- learn from them, too. I learn from you all the time. This is, these are... Two-way transactions. Wonderful. So we're gonna, um, we actually are gonna raffle off two books and apparently a couple of renegade, four renegade retirees uh, uh, shirts. So if you, when you go out the side, don't go yet. Um, there will be a place for you to um, deposit it, and you get a ticket, and we'll we'll raffle them off. And uh, will we do it later, or when will we? Um, you have some time to look at the exhibit yes. and um, share your reaction. Share your reactions out here in the corner. Annie can tell you about that. Then come we'll back do an in announcement. We'll call them. We'll call them from in here. Yeah. yeah. So um, just a couple things I wanted to um, let you know about. So this chair rocks is for sale in the back, and um, we wanted to appreciate Miss Dalloway's books for kindly coming and providing us with the with the books for sale here. So please go get yourselves a book. Um, also. Outside, uh, when you exit, you'll see a reframing aging exhibition, and that was um, a project by uh, Nancy Rubin and Cynthia Bix here, who are Ashby Village volunteers, and uh, did a whole uh, photo and story exhibition of some of our wonderful olders. Um, And so take a look at that. I also want to just thank Nancy, because the reason why Ashton is here was Nancy discovered her a couple years ago and kept an eye out, and she was the one who spotted that Ashton was coming out to California. 
yeah. Um, so there's also information tables in the back. I, um, UC Berkeley Retirement Center has one. Um, Ashby Village has one. And I want to make a slight correction. So you spoke about villages as being a place where people multi-generational are supporting each other. Ashby Village is not a, a place. It's uh, where a community of people who are aging in their homes uh, and people, younger adults who are wanting to help and support. So there's a table in back with information there, as well as a, a few other projects we've had, although they might be gone. Age-Friendly Berkeley, Berkeley Age-Friendly Continuum, and Berkeley Home Match, which has been done in a partnership with UC Berkeley Retirement and Ashby Village. We are creating matches of uh, graduate students with um, olders who might have uh, space in their home and be interested in, in home sharing. So um, please check that out. And finally, um, there's uh, there will be a few students, uh, a few students, people on the side who have this wonderful new recording equipment, um, which will be asking for any reactions to today's event, any any experience, re reflections. And so, if you could take a moment, it would be really, really wonderful to capture that. So. Um, Finally, I just want to give a big thank you to uh, Chris Thornton, who's uh, helped to produce this event, UC Berkeley Retirement, and the university for, for accommodating us. It all happens. So thank you, Ashton, for the inspiring words, and thanks for coming, and enjoy this beautiful day.